Welcome back to the nationally syndicated Price of Business Show. I'm your host, Kevin Price, talking to you about you and your business. And really what's happening in the media front is all of our business. And one of my favorite media critics, frankly, one of my favorite the critics of the progressives is in the media and a progressive. <laughs> so I love having Baya Unger Sargon on the program. Her book, which I'm going to ask you to talk about before we get started in our interview, is phenomenal. It's one of the most needed books of our time for understanding what's happening in the media today. And she is an editor over at Newsweek Magazine, an opinion editor, a deputy editor over there, and uh, a personal favorite and a show favorite. Babadia, always glad to have you on. Thank you so much for having me and for all those kind words. You're so sweet, and I love coming on this show. Love talking to you, Kevin. Talk real quickly about your book. I mean, this book is so important, and it, it really is bothersome to me that you're almost like John the Baptist in the woods, uh, you know, in terms <laughs> of the number of people talking about this. It's really like the, uh, you know, it should become a knowledge, and yet there's so much resistance. I guess it's because it's the media is not reporting on it, <laughs> you know, but they should be. Right, but they don't want to. I mean, so my book is about um, basically why our media is so terrible. And, you know, a lot of people think that the reason our media is so bad is because of the sort of political partisan divide. But I argue in the book that really – um, the thing that makes our media so bad is um, a class divide that's taken hold. There's been a sort of status revolution among the kind of people who become journalists and in the industry itself. So journalism used to be a working class trade, whereas today it's really, you know, you have to be part of the elites to even become a journalist. And then, of course, you know, there's a sort of upward mobility within the industry so that by the time, you know, you're sort of at the end of your career, you're making, you know, two, three times what the average American makes. But um, even more than just the salary and the income is just the, the status. The, you know, journalists come from the elite universe. They go to elite universities. Um, they go to school with the tech billionaires and the politicians that they're supposed to be covering objectively when actually, you know, at the end of the day, um, you know, they, they, they have class solidarity with the very same people that they're supposed to be holding to account. Um, so that's kind of what I argue in the book is that, you know, it looks like a political divide is actually a class divide. You know, progressives have become increasingly aligned with, you know, the overeducated top 10 percent um, at the expense of the working class and that a lot of their policies and a lot of the positions they push benefit the elites and then demand that the working class pay for it. Yeah, yeah. Brilliant. You and I can go a whole segment and have had whole segments just on this topic. Brilliant uh, summary. Uh, and it's a phenomenal segue for our topic today, which is the uh, student loan debt forgiveness, which operates under the premise that this is good for average Americans. That's all I hear left and right. Average Americans are the big you know, beneficiaries of this. And uh, the reality is, is this is beneficial to people making up to 125 grand individuals, and even more for for when there's couples involved. And uh, th that doesn't sound particularly average. It certainly doesn't sound working class. And there's this whole class of people who can't even entertain going to college. It's an impossibility to them. Uh, but they're not getting bailouts like this out of poverty. I mean, it's it's really a bizarre uh, narrative that's taking place that the media really seems to be tone deaf about. Yeah, it's, it's incredibly depressing because, 
you know, they set the cap at $250,000 for um, a couple, $125,000 for an individual, um, which tells you exactly who, you know, the beneficiaries of this are supposed to be when keep in mind that the median income of an average American is somewhere around, you know, between forty-five dollars and $55,000 a year. So they capped it at people making twice the median income. And then President Biden will come out and say, absent any evidence, you know, that the 90% are going to go to people making under $75,000 a year. So first of all, well, where's the evidence for that? There is none because it's not true. And second of all, then why didn't you cap it at 75, right? You didn't cap it at 75 because it was a bribe to progressives who make $125,000 a year to turn out for, for the Democrats. And, you know, it's, a working class um, writer of mine at Newsweek, he called it trickle-down economics leftist edition. Now, leftists love mm. making fun of Republicans, I think fairly so, for trickle-down economics, the idea that, you know, what benefits the top, 1%, the billionaires will end up trickling down and benefiting the working class. I think that's nonsense because I'm on the left. Leftists used to think this is nonsense, but they're implementing their own version of it. And it's true. The beneficiaries of their trickle-down economics aren't billionaires and millionaires. They're people in the top 10%. Because think about it, even someone making $75,000 a year, you know, that, that is the salary that a lot of the people who end up making two fifty, three hundred, three fifty, five hundred thousand dollars a year later in life, that's a starting salary for, for example, for a Supreme Court um, clerk, right? So you you you, yeah. you come out of Yale Law School, you get a job clerking for the Supreme Court, you're going to be making seventy five thousand dollars a year for the first year, two, three years of your career. You're going to end up making a very nice salary at the end of a career that starts out clerking for the Supreme Court, right? But they so they act like this is the working class because a lot of these sort of younger millennials at the beginning of their careers are not making a lot of money. And that's true. They're not making a lot of money. But by mid-career, they're going to be making on average a million dollars more than the average working class American. And yet you're asking average working class taxpayers to pay off their student loans on careers that are going to end up being very lucrative anyway. And, you know, the thing is, is that Americans are actually extremely generous people. If you say to them, you know, should poor people who are struggling to pay off their loans, you know, let's say somebody who dropped out of college, right? So they're not getting the benefit of that degree, but they're still paying for those student loans. You know, Americans say, yeah, of course, forgive those student loans, you know, federally held, right? But they, they're not picturing the people who are actually going to be benefiting from this. And the reason being is because the people benefiting from this are the people telling the news, Right. So they have every incentive to be obscuring who is really benefiting from it because it includes them, right? It includes journalists making a hundred, a hundred and fifty thousand dollars a year, right? So it's it, the whole thing is a big scam, and um, it, it's very, very distressing that this is sort of where the Democrats have ended up, like who they're catering to. You know, they're catering to the very poor. And, and the wealthy and the overeducated wealthy elites, and they've abandoned the entire idea of the American dream of upward mobility for middle class Americans, of a middle class life for working class Americans. You know, that's sort of that's they, they don't believe in that anymore. Yeah, yeah or, or even just a lifeline out of abject poverty. Um, you know, and instead they create an economic system which disincentivizes them from making more uh, because making more means you know, the benefit package that they literally exist on evaporates, keeping them locked into uh, having to vote for one party uh, simply because their existence seems to depend upon it. 
you know, this is very different from uh, the Democratic Party that, that supported a GI Bill that uh, created upward mobility. Uh, in fact, uh, Tip O'Neill, uh, you know, uh, the former uh, Speaker of the House, one of the most famous speakers of the House of the last century, a Democrat, you know, he, used to, he actually said that, uh, you know, the problem with Democratic uh, programs like the GI Bill is that it gives, them, uh, it gives average Americans enough money to become Republicans. You know, and I almost feel that that has become, I almost feel that's become official Democrat policy. We either help elitist rich liberals or we have to keep another group in poverty in order to make sure we have their vote locked in. I mean, that's insane. That's that's pretty genius what you just said there. That's really smart. Yeah, I've, I've likened it to... Um, um, to an airplane where you have, you know, the Democratic Party is sort of like the people flying first class, and and they're willing to pay for the people back in coach in the back row to fly for free, right? But there are no upgrades, right? So they're sitting flying in first class, and they're going to pay for, you know, people to sit in the back and fly for free, but as long only so long as those people don't get a say in where the plane is going, right? So you have this coalition <laughs> yeah. of the very rich and the very poor, but the very poor are supposed to be, you know, not notice, you know, the scam that's going on. That That's very interesting about how, you know, they, yeah, they need to keep them, in, you know, in that state of, of poverty because otherwise they're going to, the, the, the real difference between the elites and the working class that I've come to recognize is, is this question of um, autonomy. Uh, you know, working class Americans, they, the, the, the progressive liberals, they're in their fantasy, you know, they're sort of up there making their six figures in their knowledge industry jobs, and everybody else is living on welfare. That's kind of the, the fantasy they have, that, it, you know, to have this sort of like, you know, Scandinavian system where it's like you have these elites in knowledge industry jobs who are all creatives, and then everybody else is living on universal basic income and being paid off not to work while their jobs are outsourced to China and Mexico. And then we have this open border and then we have people fleeing Venezuela. They come here and they'll work those, you know, working class jobs, right? That, that's kind of the world that the Democratic Party seems to be trying to enact when what actual Americans want is they don't want to live on, you know, they don't want someone else to be paying them off not to work. They want jobs that give them dignity, that allow them to support their families. They want to earn what they get. They want to work hard and be paid well. And unfortunately, neither side is really offering them that because the Democrats have been, you know, at the forefront of outsourcing good working class jobs and importing new working class people from different countries. But the Republicans, you know, Trump was better about this, but without Trump, they seem to be reverting back to this, a lot of the stuff, you know, you know, that, that same thing, right? Like not right. protecting working class jobs, not protecting the dignity of labor, not saying to corporations, look, you cannot pay starvation wages to Americans and expect them to be able to raise their families on this. Um, something that I noticed is people are very upset that, you know, people are dropping out of the workforce, right? The last jobs report had 55,000 fewer people looking for work. But Kevin, a lot of those people are women who are choosing to stay home with their kids, a lot, you know, homeschooling skyrocketed during the pandemic. That means that someone from a lot of those families chose to stop working and stay home. You know, there was a time when that would have been something conservatives would have been very excited about, you know. Oh, wow, women want to stay home with their children. I mean, what is a more conservative value than that? The, 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 for my mind, the Republican response to that should, should be great. 
How do we make sure that yeah. husbands can afford to sustain them? But nobody's talking that way. Nobody is saying like, oh, wow, we really need to push corporations to make sure <clears throat> that the husbands of these women who are staying home to teach their children can, can, can afford to support those families. Nobody's speaking in those terms. Um, you know, neither side seems invested in this idea that like, you know, w- what if we said to every American family, you know, you can have the American dream. Um, from a, you know, something that, 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 you know, from a conservative point of view, a woman could stay home, raise the children, choose to take 10 years off. Like, there's neither side offering that. The left, the progressive left is obsessed with this sort of careerist, meritocratic mentality of like, get women into the workforce, get women equal pay, right? Send the kids to preschool, we'll pay for free preschool, right? That's the left answer. But the right has, they have no answer either. It's this trickle down stuff. Nobody's pressuring people to pay men more. And as a result, you have these men dropping out of the workforce, this crisis in masculinity, um, you know, the, the deaths of despair that are hitting men without a, without a college degree because there's, they, they know, they sense that the society does not value their labor. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, again, reminding me of Men in Marriage by George Gilder. For those who've yeah. never read it, uh, it is must-reading because uh, this crisis is not new. Uh, the original book, Sexual Suicide, changed later to Men in Marriage. That came out in the 70s. And, uh, yeah, this crisis is now on steroids. Uh, we have a whole uh, hostile uh, approach to uh, certain demographic gr- groups based on gender, eth- ethnicity, and uh, all of this goes right back to what you talked about, it, it all being really, in the end, class warfare. Yeah, I think so. I mean, I think if you look at the, um, you look at the, 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 the platform, you know, the agenda of the Democrats today, every single piece of it is class warfare of the elites against the working class, <clears throat> whether it's student loan forgiveness that you brought up, whether it's um, <clears throat> the climate uh, um, ex- extremism, to where you have people who fly, they own their own private jets, lecturing people, other Americans, about driving less and using less fossil fuels, right? Yeah. You know, we'll, we'll fly our private jets to our climate conference, but you are not going to be able to afford gas because we're pushing, you know, Ukraine away from the negotiating table, you know, because that makes us elites feel good about ourselves. It's absolutely disgusting. You know, you've climbed yeah, I'm sorry. sorry. We're, we're about to run out of time. I always lose the yes. clock when I'm talking to you. It's like, oh, I got hours. It's fine. Yeah. <laughs> and always only had 10 or 15 minutes. So it's, it's, it's you know, uh, so anyway, I want to want to wrap it up. And by the way, uh, a great example is California, the uh, Shangri-La of progressivism, where on the one hand, they are uh, illegalizing gas cars. And on the other hand, they're telling you you can't charge your electric one. I mean, that's the insanity uh, that these progressive places uh seem to be going to real quickly the name of your book where the best way to get it and then uh, i gotta wrap it up with that yes my book is called bad news how woke media is undermining democracy um you can get it on amazon you can get it at encounterbooks.com um yeah i'd be thrilled if you read it and let me know what you think and also check out newsweek.com i look at it all the time i uh Love their content because it's one of the only places that really respects a diversity of opinion. We hear that word diversity all the time, but it certainly isn't applicable in the vast majority of media when it comes to opinion, which is really what a free society is built upon. So check it out, newsweek.com. I'm Kevin Price. This is The Price of Business.